If you'd like to read along, we'll be in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And these are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. About a month ago, Marty and I had the opportunity to head up to the mountains outside of Buena Vista to meet with some lifelong friends that now work at a camp up there. And it was a particular delight for me because it was the first chance that I had gotten to get both of our boys on dirt bikes. I don't mean like bicycle bikes, I mean actual dirt bikes. So if you know, you know, like an actual dirt bike has a motor. This in a very short span went from like boys seeing bikes and being like, I don't think I want to do that to like actually sitting on the back and thinking I'm going to fly off as soon as you start to go to like, oh, this is pretty cool to at least Miles saying, um, mom, I'm on your phone. I picked out my bike. Like, here's what you need to get for me. And let's, let's get going with this life. We are a dirt biking family. In these moments of biking with my boys, life kind of came full circle for me. I know that sounds really dramatic, Um, but here's the guy that 27 summers ago taught me how to ride a dirt bike. And I'm in front of Brian teaching my kids the things that Brian taught me. And we've been talking about this pattern of following Jesus is less like sitting in a classroom, just gathering information but it's more like an apprenticeship. And learning to ride a bike is more like an apprenticeship because you're, you're going through these phases of like, you got to know, clutch, roll off your throttle. You're shifting with your left foot. You're letting go of the clutch. You're rolling back on the throttle. And there's this muscle memory to it until it catches, like you're just trying to figure that out. And you're stopping and starting and you're doing all kinds of things. And the boys are like, are we going to crash? Have you ever crashed? And he's like, yeah, you crash all the time. That's how you, like, No one learns to ride a bike without crashing. And I just thought it was really cool. Like, here I am in front of my boys, in front of the guy who taught me, again, like over 25 years ago. And here we're doing this whole thing. And uh, then there's this moment where Brian says, okay, hop on, Miles. No, no, no. Like, in front of me, hop on. Go through this routine. Okay, and then I'll show you. Here's, Here's the result, our very first effort at this result. So here's my little guy with one of my mentor friends, Brian. He's scared and ashamed and happy and experiencing tremendous joy all at the same time, okay? This was a spiritual moment for me because I was like, there is Jesus' whole discipleship model right there. In just a few moments of time, there's the model. That's what it looks like. And I'll unpack that. I'll explain, okay? The 21st century Western idea of believing in God, praying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die, would have been completely foreign to Jesus and his early disciples. I would suggest to you that many of the contemporary discipleship models that we have today in good churches would also be foreign to Jesus and the disciples. I think we need to travel back in time a little bit. And sorry, I nerd out about this stuff, but we're going to go back in time. We're going to say a little bit about the rabbinic model of discipleship. 
because it was what Jesus, when, when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is eternal, decides to come in the flesh, let's remember, he came as many things, not the least of which is a Jewish rabbi, which is the word for teacher. But it's really important to understand, he comes at a point in time where this was the enculturated way of training the next generation. By the way, the, the Jews actually didn't even make this up. Hundreds of years before, this was the discipleship model of Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato. So let me explain a couple things. Um, I'm going to say Jewish education back in those days had three major stages. You could say four if you add ages zero to five or six. Up to about age five or six, it was the parent's job in the home to train your own children. So you begin reading with them the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, so kids are being taught in their own home. But around the age of five or six, they go to this school. It's called Bet Sefer, which literally is house of the book, which is like primary school. And from about age five or six through about age 10 to 12... They are not just studying the Torah, they are memorizing the Torah. And I want you to think about that. Like if anybody do the reading through the Bible in a year and you get to Leviticus and you're like, I can't even read this stuff. Well, elementary school kids, Bet Sefer in Jewish culture, they're all memorizing that stuff. And by essentially fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they have the first five books of the Bible memorized. That's Bet Sefer. At that point, around age 12, the girls would, and I'm just telling you what it was. I'm not saying this is right. I'm not making a cultural or social statement about this. This is what it was. Girls dropped out of school, and even at the age of 12, they began to learn like from their mom or from their community, like, how do I become a mom? And they would get married very young, and they would start bearing children and raising their own family and starting over with this process. Um, you may be familiar with the terms bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, the male and female version of basically saying, I'm 12, I am a person of the book. And they sit through like a test of like, how well do you know the Torah? And they're quizzed and basically like, now you're a person of the book, you've passed this test. And for most Jewish people back then, that's where their formal education stopped. Now, a, a large percent of male only, would go on to a second school, what we think of as secondary school, called Bet Midrash. And the idea of Bet Midrash, or house of study, is that they would now start to learn the Mishnah, which was the oral traditions that were around the written book. So they're not the Word of God, like the Torah. They're not the written Word of God. But their interpretations and their applications and their way of how do we understand what God was telling us to do, that's called the Mishnah. And these oral traditions are passed down because very few people wrote much of anything. Very few people were literate back then. So they're hearing it and they're memorizing all this and they're, and they're passing it on just because it's oral tradition. Um, they would also go on to study the balance of the Old Testament scriptures, which are called the Tanakh. And that would conclude around age 15. At that point, almost everyone is done with formal education in Jewish culture. But a very few select people that are like, I love this. I get this. I'm geeking out over theology and I want to I lead and teach others. They would take this third step of a very small percent called the Taladim. And the Taladim, which is the word for, it's the Hebrew word for disciples, and it's collective and they would go and apprentice themselves to a particular 
rabbi, a particular teacher. And they would go live with this teacher instead of living with their family. They would eat with their teacher. They would house in the same lodging place as their teacher. When their teacher traveled, they went with their teacher. And they were hearing everything that the teacher had to explicitly teach. But they were also just as importantly picking up on these are the ways of my rabbi. These are the ways of my teacher. And back then there was an expression or a proverb you could say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And it literally meant, if you think of like Jesus saying, follow me. So they're walking along these dusty, not paved roads. And because they're following the rabbi, he's kicking up that dust, you know, and, you know, back to my dirt bike illustration. When you're the second person dirt biking um, on these trails, like, Miles and I are the ones eating all this dust because we have no idea where we're going. We're just following Brian and Micah, okay? Well, you're getting covered in the dust of the one that you're following. And it's metaphorical of like, may, may that person's life so get all over you that when people look at you, they recognize, oh, you're a follower of Shammai or you're a follower of Hillel or you're a follower of these different teachers, now, remember again, as I mentioned, and I'll keep mentioning this, that apprenticeship necessarily involves information, but it's a lot more focused on imparting an identity. Okay? You, could, you could easily identify that person is with that rabbi. Those people, because of, and you could just take something as simple as like, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and they, all Jews agreed upon that. That's, that's in the Ten Commandments. But how each rabbi said, now, what does that mean? And they had different principles. And they could look at a group and say, well, look at how they're acting on the Sabbath day versus how they're acting on the Sabbath day. You, you know which teacher they're following. But this, this will make a lot of sense of the Gospels you read through it. And like the, the Pharisees and others come to Jesus and they're like, hey, Rabbi, your disciples are doing this on the Sabbath day. Like, you, you cool with that? And he's like, yeah, because they're following my way, not your way. Now, without critiquing or criticizing anyone else's discipleship model, because there, there are a lot of good ones out there, and the point of having our own is not like, oh, those are, those are bad. I want to sh- continue to share with you how we landed on ours, so if I can get the full overview and just a reminder of like where we've come and where we're going. So this is the whole model, what you see on this screen or this screen. Again, like I'm torn because half of you are here and half of you are here, so look whatever's closest to you. But starting on the left-hand side, Entering into a discipleship relationship with Jesus always starts with repentance and faith. Saying the same thing as God about your sin, letting him change your way of thinking about life, and then saying, I depend on you, I trust you, and I'm taking this first step to follow you. Last week, we looked at these keywords down here at the bottom, identity, lifestyle, and community, which is kind of the, the trellis upon which our lives are growing. There's a framework that helps us grow. Now this morning, what we're going to do is focus on what's in this big arrow in the middle and these keywords. And before I, before I get to those four keywords, I want to tell you how we landed on this model. As you can probably already tell, we studied the ancient rabbinic model and just said, what, is, what do we have to learn there? Because that's what Jesus was not, not perfectly imitating, but it was a, a, a good structure and a good understanding of what Jesus was building on in order to disciple his followers. Secondly, we read every word of every gospel and made special note of what is the process whereby Jesus is making disciples. What we noticed thirdly is that 
the process of following Jesus actually corresponds to specific invitations from Jesus. We read two of those this morning that I'll come back to, but Jesus literally saying to crowds, not only follow me, but he's like, come to me, be with me, learn from me. And as we respond to those invitations of Jesus, we're now walking this path of discipleship. And then fourthly, we, um, we just tried to make this memorable. So when you see where like association, that's where it starts, far left side. And do you see where I'm at? Actually, zoom, can we zoom to the other slide? There we go. Starts with association, then education, imitation, and replication. And those are going to be our four key words from now until Jesus returns. You will hear this over and over again. You'll be taught what, what practices align with these. How can I be walking this path? How can I be growing in Christ by doing these four things? Because what I want to point out is that these things, whether you use this exact language or not, this is the universal and timeless way of Jesus. So it doesn't matter that we are now in the 21st century instead of the 1st century. It doesn't matter that you are white or black, that you're Western culture or Eastern culture. You're a man, you're a woman, you're a child, you're like progressive liberal, you're conservative traditional. This is the way of Jesus for everyone, for everyone. And we want to teach it that way. So you don't feel like there are kind of cliques or subsets of the church that like those people can follow Jesus this way we have to do something different or I have to do something different. We're, we're all doing this together. First thing I want to say about this particular model is you'll notice there is a, both a chronological and a logical sequence to these words. Um, you, you have to be with someone before you can start learning from them in the rabbinic model. You, your lives have to be touching each other, so to speak, before you can start to hear what is this person teaching me. Um, but then you're off and running. And um, this is a corrective, even from what I said at the, the family and vision meeting, that we are not, you're not running the bases with this model, where it's like, I'm starting at first, and now I, I made it all the way to second. And maybe my life stops here. Maybe somebody's really talented, and they make it to third base, or they make it all the way home. The idea is you're starting with association, and it starts, and it just goes all the way across. And then you're adding this education piece, and it starts, and it goes all the way across. And then you're adding this imitation piece, and it starts, and it goes all the way across. And then you're adding this replication piece, and it starts, and goes all the way across. And just because you're learning from Jesus and imitating Jesus doesn't mean that that being with Jesus ever stops. Because you may find, like, I'm going out to replicate. I'm going out to teach others what Jesus said. I need to go back and remember what he said. You're back to this education piece. I need to mimic it again so I can teach my son, like, wait, what is it? The muscle memory of, like, clutch, rolling off, rolling back, and it becomes second nature of the imitation piece. So let's, let's walk through this. I'm not going to take a ton of time with any of these four points, but I want us to understand it, beginning with association. And I want you to just think for a moment about some of the teachers that you've had throughout the course of your life, Okay. Everybody here is at least in grade school, some of you middle school, high school, college, postgraduate education, or you're past all of that. You've all had teachers. They taught you a particular subject like history or math or science, but uh, not, not in the Western model. You did not go home with your teachers, right? That's generally viewed as a bad thing if you are going home with your teachers. The idea is you're teaching me a subject matter. And I memorize those facts, those dates, those names, those places, uh, how the cell works, those math facts. I memorize that stuff. I regurgitate it for a test, but I'm not patterning my life after my teacher. 
They're just giving me the subject material. Contrast that with Jesus' model of discipleship, where his disciples were almost always with him. And the main point was not, what information can I get? What facts can I memorize? Most of which I've already heard. But what is the pattern of this man's life that I can walk in his steps and get the dust of that rabbi all over me? See if you notice a pattern in some of these verses. We've, we've read a couple of these a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm backing up just to see if you notice a pattern here. Mark 1, 16 through 20, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately the, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Mark 2, verses 13 and 14. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now Mark three thirteen through 15. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and so he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then Mark eight thirty four. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then what Paul read for us this morning began this way, Jesus' invitation, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So notice before anything else, as basic as this is, Jesus invites you to follow him, to be present with him. He invites you to assume the relationship and the posture of a disciple in the rabbinic model, and to walk with him and just be present with him, like enjoying him, communing with him. So here's a key question for you. How do you spend time with Jesus? If this is the first invitation, be with me. How do you be with Jesus? I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago as we started putting this model together, and I asked him that. I said, how do you spend with how do you spend time with Jesus? And he's like, ooh, that, that's really good. And I was like, no, I'm serious. That, that was not a rhetorical question. Like, how do you spend time with Jesus? And he was like, oh. See, it's abstract. If you were Peter and Andrew and James and John and Levi also called Matthew, you would say, well, there's Jesus. Like, he's literally right there and he's going somewhere. And so, like, to be with him... I mean, we all know what that means, but the, because this is abstract to us, because we don't look and see, like, oh, Jesus is there, so now I'm with him. Now I'm not with him. Now I'm with him again. You know, we, we don't play that game. So it's like, what does that look like? And I want to give you four practical things that are useful for me. How can we be with Jesus when, you know, he's not here? Not in the sense that we would look at a friend or look at a spouse or look at a roommate and say, you're here. We're, we're, we're with each other. Okay, four things. Number one, cultivate your awareness that he is present. He is present. The Bible teaches that God is omni 
present. He's everywhere present. Even in the Old Testament, when David writes this in Psalm 139, he's talking about the fact that God is present. David said, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And that's called like just the general idea that God is present everywhere. Now, that's different than saying um, we are not pantheists. So I don't look at a rock and say this too is God. But I say God is present here. God's, God's eternal, infinite, immense presence is also here. But the New Testament gives us this added joy where Jesus says, hey, I'm not just with you in a general sense of like I'm everywhere. He's like, when I go, it'll be to your advantage, disciples, because the spirit that I send will not just be with you, he'll actually be in you. And this is what Paul latches on to when writing to one of the earliest churches, the church in Corinth, where he's like, what, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And they didn't know. They're like, wait, he's, he's that close? He's that present? So to, to be with him, well, he's already with me. I'm not asking him to come which is why point one, simply cultivate your awareness that he is already here. Then secondly, consciously turn your attention to him. You ever have a schedule conflict where you can't go be with a friend for something that's really important to them, like a graduation or a wedding or the birth of their child or something like that? And we have this expression in our Western culture. We say, I am absent from you in body, but I am with you in spirit. And what do you mean? What do you mean when you're like, I- I'm with you in spirit? As you walk across that stage and celebrate years of hard work and you receive that diploma and take your next steps in life, I am with you in spirit. What you're saying is, like, I'm, I'm pausing what I'm doing and I'm turning my attention deliberately to you. And, and at least like mentally and in my heart, I'm giving you my focus and attention and being like, yes, I am with you. And in a way, like, I think we need to be doing this throughout our day. And I've, I've shared this before. I have a very simple little prayer where often it's like this. It's called a one-minute thing. It's more like a three-second thing. It's literally, I give everyone and everything to you, God. Because when I'm frustrated, when I'm afraid, when I'm anxious, when I'm all these things, when I'm proud, that deliberate reminder of you are with me and I give everyone and everything to you, is a way of saying, I want to be present with you. I want to turn my attention to you, not just blitz through my day, get to the end of my day and be like, where was God in any of that? Well, he was here, but I didn't acknowledge him. I want to acknowledge him. So cultivate your awareness. He is present. Consciously turn your attention to him. Number three, spend time in conversation with him. Conversation, dialogue is a back and forth. This is not a monologue of me just like telling God everything I need in prayer. It's also not a monologue of God just like lecturing us. Again, the... The ancient rabbinic model was much more dialogical where there was a conversation back and forth between the teacher and the pupils, the students. So what I'm saying here is God speaks to us through his word, his written word. We have 66 books. And even all the red letter parts, or even all the black letter parts, if you're familiar with this, you open a Bible and you have red letters, that's what Jesus actually said. But the rest of it, Jesus actually said too. It's his word, it's all his word. 
We're going to come into this in a few weeks, but there are different ways to read your Bible. One is to get information, to get teaching and all that. Another way that I need to discipline myself to do is just to be present with him. Like, I'm just, I'm just reading this just to, in a way, hear the sound of your voice and commune with you. So it's more about worship and presence than it is, like, what am I learning? What am I going to apply to my life today? And, and there are different ways of reading. And again, I have to discipline myself because I'm like, I want to learn something. I want to immediately have three ways to apply that to my life or else it's not relevant. And I think sometimes God is just like, can, can we just be together and me share my heart and you respond by sharing your heart? Not by telling me everything there's, you, you, you want or need. There's a time for prayer like that too. But just for us to commune with each other. I mean, can you imagine, like, I'm married, but if you turn every conversation with a spouse or a best friend into, like, well, what am I learning to apply to my life today? You don't treat any other relationship that way. So I'm saying in this conversation with God, this is a piece where we just let the word be like, I'm present with you, God. I'm hearing you. I'm knowing you. I'm enjoying you. And then fourthly, just practically go where he's going. Because if the disciples did that literally and they're getting the dust of the rabbi all over them, what, what we can do is say, Lord, even though you're not physically here in a way that I see you and can follow in your footsteps, I can read your word and I can discern this is where you're going. This is what you prioritize. This is what you are focused on. And I can be with you by going where you go, by prioritizing the things that you prioritize, then I'm present. And by the way, let me just pause before we go to two, education. And we began looking at this model last week of the vine and the trellis. And I got a great question throughout the week of like, wait, I feel like you're using two analogies for, for Jesus. Like Jesus says he's the vine, not the trellis. And I say, exactly. But remember where I said like we have to be connected to the vine for that organic life, his power, his strength, his sustenance. And we need to be connected to some kind of biblical framework that allows us to grow into the shape of Jesus. And even Jesus himself is like, when, when you're not producing, the Father as the vine dresser comes and he lifts you up. And some of us were out here doing this yesterday where I'm like, we're, we're pruning the dead stuff off the knockout roses out here. And I'm like, the only way for the rest of the plant to be healthy is to prune some of this dead stuff off. And, and it was very painful because there's lots of thorns. And if you know knockout roses, they're just, they're just gnarly. They're all over you and they hurt. And, and life is like that. We're God is in relationship with you. He's doing this association with you, and you're doing this with him, and, and you're connected. And I want you to picture that. Like, I'm just a branch, and if I go try to just do my thing and maybe even grow on the trellis by myself, I'm going to die. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm plugging into you, Jesus. I am relying on you, Jesus. That's association. And if it hasn't started for you yet, it starts today and it will continue every day from now on through the rest of your life association. Second step, education. And this is Jesus' invitation, learn from me. By the way, the word disciple literally means a follower, a student, a pupil, a learner. And we saw that in Jesus' invitation in what we read this morning where he says, come to me All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn from me, right? It's an invitation, like, come and learn. So he's saying, I'm the rabbi. I'm the teacher. Come and learn. Again, not just information, but come and learn my ways. And we have so much to learn from the words of Jesus and the written word of God about life, about God, about temptation, about sin, about forgiveness, about grace, about justice, 
about how to react to hard things in our lives. We have, we have so much to learn. And my application question for you here is, how are you learning from Jesus his way of life? How are you learning? And again, this is not just like, oh, good question. No, it's like, how are you learning the way of Jesus? And I'll give you a couple things here too as well. First of all, get in the word of God consistently and thoughtfully. Like we, one of my passions is that we as followers of Jesus should be people of the book because this is where God speaks to us most clearly. We can't argue about this. Some of you may say, well, I have, I have private impressions. Like God just told me to go serve my neighbor in this way. And that's, that's great. That's fine that like you feel this prompting of the spirit to go love someone, serve someone, encourage someone. I've had some of those things too where I'm like, I don't know where I'm texting this person right now, but God just laid it on my heart to do that. That's great. But we need to be people of the book people of the word, and study it to know what it means, to interpret it, to apply it to everyday life, to to grow our lives on the patterns that we're finding in that book. So get in the word of God consistently and thoughtfully, but then also get in community where you talk about the word. One of the worst things in the world when it comes to theology is novelty. If you're like, I have this idea, like, I just found this in the Bible, and like, listen, just, just hear me out. No one's ever said this before. That's probably not a good thing, okay? Um, we stand on thousands of years of church history, and listen, often the church got it wrong, so especially in their practice. I don't mean, like, theologically, positions were pretty refined pretty early on, but then you're like, well, what about the inconsistency where you said you believe that all people are created in the image of God, and yet you were, you were slaveholders, like, yeah, zing, gotcha, you were living out of step with the reality of the gospel, okay? But we are connected to thousands of years of church history, people like way smarter than me that were interpreting this word, wrestling with what it means, trying to apply it. Now, today in our own culture, in our own church, like we should be in gospel communities and other types of Bible studies where it's not just like, well, I read my Bible and I kind of have my private idea of what that means. Like, no, go, go get with people and say, well, here's what I read this week. And I, I, I think it means this, and this is what I plan on doing with that. And they're like, ah, yay, or like, ooh, hold on, like, let's open it back up and let's talk about what that says, what that means. That's a very healthy way of being educated together. Because remember, again, a rabbi did not call one person to come and learn from him. He called a group of people to come learn from him simultaneously, and they did it together in community because that's an important part of growing and understanding. By the way, um, I came across this this week. I love this, because you can keep studying the Bible, and you're like, oh, I know this. Like, I taught on this a few years ago. But when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, do you know what he meant? Take my yoke upon you. Well, in that Hebraic, Jewish, rabbinic culture, everyone would say the yoke of God is the Torah. His commandments are the yoke. So there, there's a burden to a yoke, but also like as you put that on an animal for like plowing a furrow, that actually multiplies their strength, it helps control them, shape their actions and behaviors. And everybody would say that the Torah is God's yoke. But they'd also look at um, any particular rabbi and they would say his collection of teachings, his way of doing life is his yoke. I didn't know that. So that, that Rabbi Hillel over here, everything he taught and the Hillel way of doing things was the yoke of Hillel. So do you hear what Jesus is saying? To, to like massive crowds who are exhausted and weary with the Roman Empire 
and their tax situation and the lack of a Messiah and just their own personal stuff. I mean, they were people too. So whatever you struggle with, like I just had a fight with my wife and my kids are angry at me and my business dealings are not going well and there's a famine and so stuff's not going well. And, and Jesus is like, you're exhausted. Take my entire collection of teachings, my entire way of doing things. Take that upon yourselves. Learn from me and you will find rest. Walking in my ways is what he's saying. So, association, education, thirdly, imitation. And by the way, this was always the outcome of rabbinic discipleship. Again, in contrast to a modern thing where you're just like, I just learned history from her. I learned science from him. I learned, you know, algebra too from him. We're not talking about a school teacher here who's teaching you Spanish. We're talking about a rabbi who's teaching you a way of life. And the whole point was you would become like him. Okay, Jesus described the rabbinic model like this in Luke 6, verse 40. He said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. How do I know I'm fully trained, Jesus? And he's like, because you look just like me. I mean, we have a word for that. Like, I want to be Christ-like. Christ-like? That's, that's this. When I'm fully trained and I'm associating with you and I just enjoy being with you and I'm learning from you and now I'm mimicking you and imitating you and building my life on the shape of your life. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, now you look more like me. You love like me. You think like me. You act like me. You talk like me. You react like me because I'm becoming more and more a part of your life and you're learning my ways. By the way, a specific example of this, remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet before the last Passover? Because what, what should have happened is the lowest person, the person who knows like, okay, I'm, I'm the bottom rung of the totem pole socially. It's my job to wash everyone's feet because we're about to recline at a table, like literally recline at a table and my feet are in your face and your feet are in my face. And so as you're walking those dusty streets and you're getting the dust of your rabbi and everyone else and the animals like all over your feet, like when you come to a feast, a festival, the, the hospitable lowest person washes your feet. No one would do it. So Jesus takes a towel and a basin, and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says this, John 13. He said, you call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and rabbi, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And again, you see the model of apprenticeship. Jesus didn't just convey information. He modeled a way of life. And he said, now, I'm out of here. You should do what you saw me do and keep doing it. And the apostles got this through their, their thick skulls at some point because John, um, Jesus' best friend, many years later wrote this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, by this we may be sure that we are in him. Again, that picture of a vine and branches. We are in him as branches connected to his life, his sustenance. How do we know? How do we know we're Christians? How do we know that we're in him, John? He says, by this we know. And you can be assured. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so how are you doing it mimicking or imitating Jesus. How are you doing? Does your life look like his? I think there's a value to, remember the, 
maybe half of you are not old enough, but there, were, there was a craze when I was in high school, WWJD, and there's a significant value to thinking like, what would Jesus do? Like I'm walking into a new situation, it's difficult, I'm facing this challenge, what would Jesus do? There's an even greater value, I think, to what did Jesus do? And looking back at his life and saying, how did he react to similar things? Because I'm building my life on his pattern. I'm imitating him because he's invited me to become like him. Now, our discipleship model, you'll notice there's one more step. And this is the one that's most often missing from discipleship models. But I think in studying the rabbinic model and then studying the actual words of Jesus, you you do not have a complete discipleship model unless you have number four, replication. Because in fact, this was always the ultimate goal of discipleship in the days of Jesus. And again, whether it was a Greek philosopher or a Jewish rabbi or someone else, the the end point was not just, okay, I've, I've come with you. I'm present with you. We are friends. We love each other. I've learned from you. Now I mimic you. Now I look like you. Done. No, you're not done. Because the ultimate goal was always that you take that knowledge and you take that mimicry or imitation of the rabbi and you go teach others and you say, this is the way to live. This, like, he nailed it. And you need to follow him. We read this verse earlier, and I want to repeat it. In Mark 3, when Jesus called the 12 disciples, and it says he named them and sent them out as apostles, which is literally like sent ones. So you started out as learners, disciple. Now you're sent ones. And it says he appointed them to be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Disciples, what are you supposed to do with your time with Jesus? Oh, we're just supposed to become holier and better than everyone else at everything because we have the right Messiah. We have the right rabbi. It's like, no. No, no, the end goal is that you would go out into your world and be telling other people. You would be replicating. I love following Jesus. I want other people to love following Jesus. Come with me. And, and I'll say two things. I think we are called to teach the central message of Jesus, which is the gospel, but we're also called to teach the way of Jesus, and to help others follow him. So in one of the most famous passages on things that Jesus said, we have this text called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Isn't that interesting? It's not just go, go and serve all nations, go and be kind to all nations, go and love all nations, go and do good things, seek justice and mercy for all nations. And he could have said any of those things, but he says, go and make disciples. That is, as you are following me in the first three steps, now do number four. And you start all over with the next group of people, and you're like, come with me. Let's go be with Jesus together. Now, let's learn from Jesus. Now, let's mimic and imitate Jesus. And now, you're at a place where you can go out and kind of test it out and be like, okay, Jesus, we said these things. And he's like, oh, no. No, no, no. That, that is not it. Say, you say things like this. And he, there's a correction because it's an apprenticeship. Miles had to learn this. Like, on a motorcycle, you think that you are turning a corner by turning it turning the handlebars like the way you want to go. Some of you know this. You almost actually turn it the opposite way and lean, and the bike just goes around the corner. And so he starts off one of these videos that I didn't show. He basically takes my friend Brian like right into a tree. Okay, And it's off to the side of the road, but he's just like, this is how you do it. And, and the, the, the mentor, the rabbi comes back and is like, no, 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 not like that. 
So like this, and this is going to feel awkward to you. You're going to think that this is the right way, but it's actually this way. And as you're walking in apprenticeship to Jesus, and as you're helping other people walk in apprenticeship to Jesus, the spirit of it is not like, I am so much better than all these other people. And, and how often do you get that garbage in church culture? Just like, I'm judging them, I'm better, my group is better. Um, they've kind of alienated themselves from me, so I'll show them how that feels. And there's just a lot of junk that just shows that our hearts are not fully formed in the image of Jesus. But it should be more like, no, 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 we're, we're, just, we're just all followers of Jesus together. And my goal is that the life of Jesus is replicated and imprinted in you. Not that you look at me and you're like, oh, he's, he's better. I could never be that. We're doing this together. And I hope that that motorcycle illustration makes sense of this now where it's like, okay, be, be with me. Learn from me. Mimic me. Nope, nope, not, not like that. Let me teach you another detail that you didn't pick up on as I was teaching you things. Now go replicate. Now, now you're doing it. Now you're teaching your kids how to ride a bike. And it starts all over. And you see how those four steps in the pattern work together? Again, not, yay, I've graduated to step two. Yay, I'm at step three. Yay, I'm super saint because oh, I'm telling other people. It's like you can be a brand new baby Christian. You're already doing all four because that's simply the pattern of Jesus for everyone everywhere that would follow him. Okay, so where are you? Do you find yourself on here? And maybe you're like, oh, I kind of got stuck at the education piece where I read, I read the word. Oh, hi. Some of you may realize, like, I skipped the association piece. I felt that for a lot of years. It, it was not about me communing with God and just being present with God and just saying, God, everyone and everything is yours right now in this moment. It was just like, yeah, I, I love reading the Bible and I love this information. I'm just gathering so much stuff and memorizing and thinking through and strategizing and teaching and um, you know, and it's like, well, where's association there? Where's imitation? And again, there is a logical sequence. And I, I'm just asking you to identify as best you can. Here, here's where I am. Maybe you feel stuck, but we're going to talk about that for weeks. How do we help each other? Are you living this pattern, all four parts of it? Or did you stop somewhere? Did you skip over something that you're like, wow, how life would change if I went back and was like, Jesus you're the vine, I'm the branches. I just want to be with you and just like start all over in a sense of like, I just want to be with you. I just want to know you. I love you. I think I love you. <laughs> I want to know more what it means to love you and be in love with you and learn from you. Does this give you a clear path to take some next steps? That, that's our, our prayer and hope that before we even get into a single specific practice, this gives you some clear next steps. And I want to say in closing, like, we love you. We are for you. And I hope you hear that, that this is not like, whoa, you stalled out here? What's, what's wrong? It'd be like, I stalled out there too. And I skipped that. Like, and we can pair you with people that are like, man, that's, we have similar struggles or where I'm strong, you're weak, and we can help each other. We love you. And we are here to help you walk this way of Jesus. And I think as you do, learning this apprenticeship model, living this apprenticeship model, you'll find in due time, like, man, my, my life is looking more and more like Jesus. And I'm being used by Jesus to bring other people in, and it's not some awkward, like, confrontational conversation. It just feels natural that I'm doing all of this by his power at work in me. 
That's our prayer for every one of you.